Amazing, amazing is good. Amazing is great. Awesome. I want to welcome everyone watching by live stream. I want to welcome all of you all here. I want to thank you for joining us. I want to encourage you to share the stream. So we took a little journey uh, last month through trying to get vision or goals and purpose and um, just take a serve. No, I don't want to do that because some of you are like, any five percenters here? Anybody write their goals? Anybody have a goal? Did you do it? Did you do it? Did you do it? Write your goals. Uh, but this, now we're going to kick back up into the Gospel of John and um, we left off in chapter five, so we're going to start chapter six. And so we're going to just take on the story and the narrative of Jesus. And this is one of the most famous stories in the world, definitely uh, one of the most famous stories in all of the Gospels, but and you'll understand it as soon as I start to read it. So John chapter 6, it says, After these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because of the signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up to the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And now the Passover, which is a feast of the Jews, was near. And Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he saw a great multitude coming towards him. And he said to Philip, Where shall we go to buy bread that these may eat? <clears throat> but they said to him, But this Jesus said to Philip, To test him. Say it with him. He said it. He said it. To test him. Yes. For he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him and said, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that everyone may have even a little. We don't have enough money. There's not enough resources. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said, I have here a lad who has five barley loaves and two fishes, but what are they among so many? <clears throat> and Jesus said, make the people sit down. Everybody say it with me. Make the people sit down. Make the sit down. All right. There's a reason why I'm doing this. And... <laughs> And th but now there was much grass in the place, and so they sat down, and the number was about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and he gave thanks. Say it with me. Jesus, Jesus gave, thanks, gave thanks, right? And then he distributed them and told the disciples to distribute them among those who were sitting down. So that when they, they had, everyone had eaten and they were filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. And they gathered up and filled how many baskets? Anybody know? Twelve, yes. Rounded up twelve baskets of barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. And the men that were there were at least 5,000. And when they had seen this sign, they said, truly, this is the prophet who has come into the world. So Jesus is about to perform a miracle. How many knows there's miracles in the Bible? Anybody? How many knows God's a God of miracles? You believe that? Because it's true. There's something in the scripture, there's creative miracles where something comes from nothing. There's restorative miracles where things are brought back, right? There's transformative miracles where something is changed into another form. A restorative miracle would be somebody who lost their sight and Jesus restores the sight. The transformative miracle, an example of that would be water to wine. And then there's also miracles of supply and provision, like the coin in the fish's mouth. That was a miracle. They needed the money to pay the temple tax. Jesus is like, no worries. Go down to the water. A fish is going to come up and hand you a coin. Now, wouldn't that be great? You know what I'm saying? I'd build a house by that lake. You know what I mean? <laughs> hey, I need a mocha chai latte, man. <laughs> okay, I got it. Anna. So it's like, kind of like that. So Jesus is still working miracles. What you need to know is God will perform a miracle in your life. The Bible says Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed. He's a miracle-working God. He will do creative miracles in your life. You say, I don't have it, Lord. Well, who are we talking about? 
He will do transformative miracles. He will take something that is missing and he will bring it. He will take something that needs to be changed and he'll change it. He'll bring miracles of supply. This one we all kind of get because everyone at some point is a, as a Christian, you've experienced God's supply. We can all know that one, right? So if, he's a, if he does miracles of provision, who says he can't do creative miracles? If he can do miracles of provision, how come he can't do transformative miracles? He can. We need to start believing God for these things. Jesus is a miracle God, and he's still working miracles. What's interesting in the New Testament, if you study the Gospels and even New Testament history, which I'm not expecting anybody here to be a New Testament theologian, but these miracles were never debated. All of the miracles that Jesus did, there was in no point up until probably the entire gospel period, even hundreds of years after the gospels were written, the miracles of Jesus were never debated because they couldn't be debated. Jesus performed miracles publicly and he performed them openly. Here he's doing a miracle with 5,000 people. How are you going to deny that one? You can't. He gives a beggar off the mat. He gets a blind man his sight. He, hears, he heals with a word. Who, who's going to debate this? The miracles were never debated. They were never debated. And so the, the miracles they accepted, it was the message of Jesus that they rejected. The miracles was like, they're all in. Oh, yeah, you know, let's do this. Just don't ask anything of me. You're going to do something for me. Hey, that's great. What have you done for me lately? But don't ask anything of me. <laughs> So John is the gospel writer of this gospel, and I'll just try to bring you up to speed just a little bit on who John is. John is writing from the point of view that Jesus is God. That's what they're trying. Each one of the gospel writers, they're biographers of the life of Jesus, and they're coming at Jesus from a different angle. They're looking at Jesus' life from a different way. John is the last gospel written. His whole message is Jesus is God. Matthew, his message is Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. He is the promised one of Abraham. He is the son of David. He's, that's where he's coming from. Uh, Luke is trying to write that he is Jesus is the perfect man. Jesus is the answer of life. He goes back to genealogy of Matthew, goes back to Abraham, the genealogy of or his family line. When they trace the family line, Luke goes all the way back to Adam. Because one of the things that uh, Greeks were is they were very anthropological. They were very into people. They were very into the culture and things like that. So you see a lot of that. But John, what John is writing here is he's trying to get the point across that Jesus is God and you need to believe. And you need to be born again. And that's the point that he keeps emphasizing over and over again. The miracles were rejected, but the, but the, message, the miracles were never rejected, but the message was. Why? Why did the people reject the why did the people reject the message of Jesus? It's the same reason today. The same reasons they rejected it is the same reasons people today reject it. One was religious reasons. Jesus is like I'm the one and only. I'm the one and only. There is no one else besides me. I am the way, the truth, the life. L. Ron Hubbard's not getting you across the line. Your good works aren't getting you across the line. Well, that's not fair. I believe that we're all one, and I believe that Islam and Baha'i and all of us, we all worship the same God. No, we don't. If your God's not Jesus, we don't worship the same God. If your God's not Jesus, he's not, you don't worship truth. You may have pseudo-spiritual power. You may worship something. You know, if you're a Buddhist, you got a great diet plan. Vegetarian yak butter, I hear that's pretty good, you know, some what I'm told. 
but you're not going to get saved. There might be, you might be drawing some sort of moral teaching out of it, even some sort of life philosophy, but you're not born again. It will not save you. Only Jesus saves you. People reject Christ for religious reasons, just like they did. He said, the whole system of your worship, the whole structure that you have created, you've taken what I've said, you've distorted it. That's why they hated him, because Jesus was correcting them. They couldn't stand him because he was correcting them. You have heard it said, but I say. You have heard it said, but I say. He's correcting their, their, their teaching. And he said, listen, it's not through Judaism. It's through the Messiah. And he began to correct them, and they rejected him. Same reason people reject him today. He's the only one. Now, nobody wants to hear that. Unless you believe and repent in Christ alone, you are eternally lost. That is the message. Jesus isn't condemning you. You're already condemned. He's called Savior. God's not condemning anyone. Man's already lost. He's come to save us. From what? Our lostness. We're so lost, we don't even know we're lost. You want to talk about clueless? Let's talk about clueless. This is really how clueless we are. We're clueless in our cluelessness. We're so clueless, we don't even know we're clueless. <laughs> that lost to the uttermost... And Jesus comes to save us, and people reject him because they have a religious mindset. They don't, want to give, they don't want to believe that he's the one and only. Jesus called for independent thinking. These people were bound by a system of thought, and they were bound, and that fabric within that system taught them to think a certain way. They, and they would think, and, every, and Jesus violated the fabric of their thinking, and they wanted to kill him for it. I believe, I think, same thing today. It's not what you believe, it's not what you think, it's what he says. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's not how you think, you must learn to think as he thinks. <gasps> not as Harvard tells you to think. We must learn, as Christians, we must come to Christ and learn to think as he thinks. It's called the mind of Christ, on earth as it is in heaven. My witness is here. This is good, I'm going to call on you, Ingrid. You're just going to give me a nod. When, yeah, that's right. I'll, I'll point, I'll, when I point at you, that's your time, all right? Just tell me. All right, anyway. Political reasons. They rejected him for political reasons because Jesus preached the kingdom and he was a threat to their allegiances. The Jews had made a nice, comfortable alliance with the Roman government. And Jesus was saying, listen, it's not an alliance of men. It's an alliance with the Lord. And if the government aligns with the Lord, then follow the government as it relates to the Lord. But it's not follow the government in opposed to what Jesus says. Good God, can the church hear that one? You know? Well, the government says, the government says, oh, the holy government. The king says, yeah. let me say it again. The king says, yeah. <laughs> Paul said before them when they were accusing him, and he said, you judge. Is it better to obey you or to obey God? We charge you to not do the things that you're doing. They charged him. We charge you. And they said, you decide. Should we obey you? In your contradictions to what our Father says? Or should we do what our Father says? In spite of it, how much it contradicts you. I'm telling you. Weak, apathetic, cowardice church. Exposed fully in the 21st century. Exposed! COVID ripped the veil off of the cowardice. And the weak, apathetic pastors. Weak! Weak. I'll say it again. Weak. Weak. 
absolute weakness. <laughs> Culturally relevant, but kingdom irrelevant. Let's just say that. Culturally relevant, but kingdom irrelevant. Oh, they went along with the culture. Kingdom irrelevant. You don't want to be culturally relevant and kingdom irrelevant. That's not what you want. If If you're kingdom relevant and you can be culturally relevant, well, then happy day. But if one of them's got to go, cultural relevancy is out the window. It's gone. We, we, we fabricate churches that are culturally relevant, but couldn't be more distant from the kingdom in what he says and what he wants. <laughs> Same reason, political reasons. Well, our denomination's been this way for 50 years. The kingdom violates their denominational thinking, the politics of their structures, social reasons. Here's a big one. This will come right up on your couch this morning. People reject Jesus because he calls them to a different lifestyle. (gasps) Say it with me. The kingdom is a lifestyle. It's alive. It's free. It's wild. It's awesome. I've never been more free. Yeah. I'm crazy to the world and I'm crazy to the Christians. I think I'm growing. I think I'm all like, oh, this is good, man. You don't fit in our box, Kevin. Uh, Okay. You're driving a bus without brakes. I'm like, well, what do you want from me, man? All in. All in. People don't come to Christ for social reasons. It's a threat to their system of living and a threat to their system of, of lifestyle. When we preach the message, deny yourself, take up in your cross, that doesn't preach very well. It didn't preach very well for Jesus. They all went, well, I'm not doing that. I can't deny myself and give up my life. I'm not doing all that. I I got to think about me. I got to work on me. It's all about me. Me, 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 me. Me, glorious me. Hallelujah to me, glorious me. Narsa Jesus is the gospel preached of the day. How much Jesus is just infatuated with you. Oh, he's infatuated with you. Yeah, he loves you. He's all in on you. But he's all in. He's not infatuated with you to the degree. He, he's not on your agenda. He's on his. And he's invited you to get on his. And guess what? He's got a plan for you. Created for good works. God's already got a design and a plan. And he's invited you. Hey, you want to come and get on my plan? I got a great plan for you. I know how I made you. Right? You're driving around like an old clunker. I made you to be a Ferrari. Why don't you come over here and let's figure that one out? Let me show you how to drive a sports car. Another story. They rejected Jesus for social reasons. They rejected Jesus for personal reasons. Personal reasons. How dare you say I'm lost? I'm offended. How dare you say that? How dare Jesus just loves us all. I watched one pastor and they say, what do you say to the, what do you say to the person that doesn't know Christ? He's like, well, it's a conversation. And I'm like, I get it. It's a conversation. They asked this guy, and I said, so tell me about the conversation. What is the conversation that you need to have with the person that's lost? Well, it's a conversation within the conversation. No, it's pretty clear. It's pretty clear. If you don't know Jesus, you're lost. It all comes down to that. I mean, we get people come here on Sundays, and I love it. I love talking to people afterwards. It's really wonderful. But I can tell almost immediately they don't know Jesus, and that's my first question. I have two questions. What do you want the Lord to do for you? Pastor, would you pray for me? Absolutely. What do you want the Lord to do for you? I don't know. No, you got to tell me that. 
Do you want him to do that? Then let me ask you this question. So I'm like, look, God's going to do that. And I go, do you know him? Do you know him? Do you ever ask him in your heart? Last two weeks, two people, just through personal conversations, gave their life to Jesus. <laughs> and they're like, why not? You know, they're just looking at me and they're like, well, yeah, it sounds like a pretty good deal to me. Let's, let, me let me give my life to Jesus. I give him a prophetic word. I give this kid a prophetic word. He's like, man, are you like reading my mind, man? Like, you reading my mind? I'm not reading your mind. I said, it's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is telling you he sees you, he knows you, and he cares about you. And if he sees you, knows you, and cares about you, then he wants you to know him. I said, so do you know Jesus? He's like, well, I've been to church. That's not the question I asked you. <laughs> church has got to go back to clear evangelism, man. I mean, we got to stop with all the toys and come back to the meat and potatoes. I mean, we just got to do that. We have a generation that's lost and clueless, and they need a guiding light, not a religious light, a living light, a hopeful light, a life-giving light. People did get reject Jesus for personal reasons, and so this is why they're all rejecting him. By the end of this chapter, a lot of his observers, the word used, the Bible says in verse 66, it uses the word disciples. It's not the right translation. It should be observers. Many of his observers left him. So Jesus goes through the whole chapter, gets to the end, and says, hey, by the way, this is what it looks like to follow me, and it says many of the observers left him. Observing, just observing. They're here for the show, right? Oh, there's Jesus. Got a pie of popcorn. You know, he was a show. There was no HBO back then. There was no Netflix. So when Jesus showed up, he was epic. What's he going to do? I don't know, man. What's he going to do? You know, give me some Skittles, man. Get your own Skittles. I'm going to get my own popcorn. And so here's the narrative. Jesus is about to perform a miracle. So the feast of Passover was near. So what the Bible is showing us, it says during this time or in a season of time, in Minnetauta, which means as time passed. So between chapter 5 and chapter 6, there's about six months approximately. It could be as long as a year. So there's between 6 and 12 months between chapter 5 and chapter 6. And so what's going on? The feast of Passover is near. So Jesus has to go down to Passover. He will go to Passover. He observed. He observed the law of God to fulfill it. And so he will go down to Passover. But he knows Passover is going to be a very tense time for him. Right? He's got a very tense season coming up. And so he's about to pull away from the crowd with his disciples. He's going on a little vacay. You know, vacation, can't wait to get away. He's going to go on a little vacation, a little vacay up into the mountains north of the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. This is what's going on. He's on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. The heat is on in Jerusalem. They just executed John. <laughs> so it's like, hey, you know, murder is on the scene. There are pilgrims and thousands of pilgrims streaming down in Jerusalem. Alex, you got that map? So I'll just throw it, show it to you. So, okay, so this is basically the, the nation of Israel. When you came down, they would have to come to Jerusalem. There were basically three roads, but the, the observant Jews would only take two roads. You have this road here to the east, which is called the King's Highway, and then you have the road to the west, which is called the Way of the Sea. And so when the Bible says he went by the Way of the Sea, it means he was coming down this way. I think it's King's Highway is mentioned once, too, but he, or it'll tell him that, that the eastern route, or it'll tell him which way he's going. So Jesus, Capernaum, up here, Capernaum at the top, was kind of like the jumping-off point. So all of the pilgrims from all of these different regions, because males had to go to Jerusalem for Passover, no excuses. 
Firstborn male of every house had to go. So every family had to have a male representative. The ladies could come too if they wanted to, but if they had small kids or they had family responsibilities, they were excused, but the dudes weren't. Men, you gotta go, no choice. And so from, if you were an observant Jew, they would come from all over the world. They would gather in Capernaum, which was kind of the jumping off point, and then they would follow down into Jerusalem, depending on the route, and they would flow down into, and they would flow the roads down into Jerusalem, and they would travel in caravans, they would travel in groups. It was beautiful. It would be singing. There'd be a lot of singing, and actually when they got to Jerusalem, you have to go up. So you come down into a valley, and then you go up into Jerusalem, and they would sing a certain set of songs called the Hallels. And they would sing these songs, and it's beautiful. And the priests would actually come out from Jerusalem and meet the pilgrims on the way. And the priests, the Levites, would start leading the people in singing as they went into Jerusalem. Isn't that amazing? And they would be, the priests would say, Who is this king of glory? And the people would say, anybody know? The Lord mighty in battle. And they would be singing songs in the rounds as they were going up to Jerusalem. It would be, you know, isn't that beautiful? You guys are like staring at me like, what, did I not sing good? What, I mean, I'm sorry. just want to apologize for singing there for all y'all out there. So they, were, they would travel down. So Jesus is over here on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. All the pilgrims are over here. And Jesus is like, I need a break from people. Okay? I got to go get my father's mind. I got to go spend some time with my crew. We got to get this together because we're going into Jerusalem and it's not going to go good. There's going to be something. He wasn't sure what he was walking into. So he goes over here to the, sea, to the eastern side of Galilee. But the problem was is that people knew he was there. And so everybody started following him. And they see him, and he's traveling in a boat across the northern part of the sea. And the Bible says that they started following him on the seashore, most likely running. There he is, man. There he is, never losing sight of him. And then it was like people that would be coming. There's Jesus. There's the miracle worker. There's the prophet. And they'd all be like, what? And so they would all chase him. And they all followed him. And he goes there. Matthew 14, you can take that down. Matthew 14 says, when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. And he had compassion on them and he healed them. So basically, he shows up at the hotel. And the crowd is there. And he's like, man, can I get a break? You know what I'm saying? It's just like... I booked this hotel suite in the middle of nowhere. I just want to be cool. And the phone doesn't stop ringing, right? <laughs> People were all around him. And he heals them all day long. He heals them. The crowd was there for the miracles. The miracles were there for the message. Jesus doesn't have a problem with miracles, but he's trying to take us past miracles. Miracles are validation that he is who he says he is. Miracles are invitation into more. Huh? So miracles serve a purpose, but Jesus is the source of it all, and the Holy Spirit is the source of it all. They would reject Jesus once they, know the, once they knew the cost. They were a bunch of fans. They weren't really followers at this time. They were just fans. You know? Yeah, let's go. Fans. Jesus in our culture has a lot of fans. He needs more followers. We got a lot of fans. Yay, Jesus! Yay! I, I'm in. Yay. Hallelujah but put some substance behind it. Put some, live a lifestyle that reflects his glory. Live a lifestyle that reflects the, the, the nature of the person that you are. If you're in Christ, you're a son and daughter. Live as a son. Live as a daughter. doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means you're intentional. 
You don't have to be perfect. Say it with me. It's not about perfection. It's about direction. Yeah, it's not about perfection. It's about direction. I fought, you fell over the table. Okay, get up. I took four more steps and I tripped over the chair. Okay, get up. You know, then I walked in the kitchen. I tripped over the cabinet and smashed my head into the window. Okay, bandage yourself up and get up, right? Keep going. Get up. Don't quit. That's the whole idea. It's not about being perfect. It's about direction. Another story. The cost to follow Jesus is all of you. It's everything. Everything. They're coming for the miracles, and Jesus is like, look, if you want all of me, it's going to cost you all of you. And believe me, all of Jesus is worth way more than all of you. Your value and worth is in him. Your value and worth is not in your family line or the piece of sheepskin that you got on the wall that you got from some university. That's not your value and worth or the lack of it, right? Your value and worth is in Christ, not in yourself. When you come to Jesus, you become the treasure of treasures. He already values you that way, but, the, but it doesn't become active until you come to him. And then you're loved in the highest way. And he gives you the whole kingdom. The bread is for the children. <laughs> you have access to the whole bank. Yeah, exactly, the whole shebang. Come on, yes. We can clap. Somebody's happy about that. That's good. Jesus said in Matthew 10, if you do not love, if anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. I see it all the time. People, well, my, you know, they forsake Jesus for all kinds of things. He who loves his daughter or his son more than me is not worthy of me. Notice, he uses, notice the word he uses. He, he doesn't even use the word knows me. He uses the word worthy. You're not worthy of the gift that I'm offering you because you don't discern it. You don't understand what it is that I'm actually offering you. You have no understanding. You're not worthy of it. When you understand what it is that I'm offering, then you get it. Jesus is everything. He's not something. He's everything. He is the all in all. The Bible says in all things he has the preeminence. In all things he is to have first place. You're like, all things? All things. All things he is to have the first place, first place. And your way will prosper. We don't, and that's another story. I'm not going to get into that. But he does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Three times he says worthy. Three times in two verses he says worthy. He who finds his life will lose it. In other words, if you think you got it all figured out and you think that glorious me is going to take you across the end zone and take you into the end zone, you're going to find that that's not going to be the case. You're going to fall short. If you think your life and your lifestyle is the answer to the world and to the the way you're supposed to live, you're going to see he's already telling you. He's giving you the predictive course. He's telling you, if it's all about you, And all about what you think, and you got it all figured out, you're going to fall short. But if you lose everything and say, Jesus, I don't know anything. You're the best answer I got, and I don't have a lot of answers. In fact, I don't have any answers. You're the the only answer. When you come to that place, the Bible says, then you find your life. It's interesting. Christians come to Christ, but they never come to this place. They never fully integrate or surrender arenas of their life, and therefore there's no life. Any place that's not fully integrated with Jesus, you can rest assured there's no life there. 
So it's a season of Passover. So I want to put you in a season. So he's up in the north of Galilee. It's a season of Passover. So during Passover is when, the, when the, uh, the children of Israel came out of Egypt through the blood of the lamb. They came out through blood and water, right? And they come out through blood and water, and the Lord fed them in the wilderness. Manna from heaven. So Jesus is going to do a miracle that speaks their language, it comes into their language. So a lot of the stuff that's going on in this chapter, even the little hints, is related to prophetic things. It says, Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude towards him, he looks at Philip and he says, where do we go to get food for these people, Philip? Philip was from the region. So Jesus is asking him, where's we're going to get food? Where's the local Walmart, Philip? Where, where can we go? Right? Is Sonny's around? Can we get catering for all these people? Where, where are we going to go? And most likely, Philip was probably looking at the crowd, just shaking his head like, you got to be kidding me, man. He was probably already, he was, Jesus probably already saw the distress that Philip was in over the circumstances. And it says, and so Jesus asks him, he says, where we, what are we going to do here, Philip? Give me an idea. What, what, do, you th- what do you think can happen here? Do you, where, where are you at? He says he said this to test him because Jesus already knew what he was doing. He's going to give him Philip a test. Well, what test? What test is Philip possibly going to pass at this point in time? Well, the entire day. So Philip has been with Jesus for about two years at this point. So he'd watched Jesus do all kinds of things. He'd just watched Jesus. Matthew tells us the same stories in Matthew. He healed people all day long. And he didn't just heal people all day long in Matthew 14. Luke 9 says the crowds learned about where Jesus was. Same story. And they welcomed him. And Jesus spent the day speaking to them about the, say it with me, kingdom of God and healed all of those that were there. Jesus talked to them about the kingdom, the power reality of the king's dominion, kingdom gospel. So Jesus is sitting there teaching them kingdom gospel. And Jesus is sitting there healing everyone. And then he looks at Philip and said, did you get anything out of what I just shared today, Philip? Was there any connection between what I said, what I did, and this reality? Is there any connection at all? <laughs> and there wasn't. The whole on earth as it is in heaven, did that connect to you at all? The whole insufficiency, sufficiency, did that connect to you at all? How do you perceive me, Philip? What, what am I, Philip? What, where are we at with this, Philip? Jesus was looking for a supernatural mindset, and he only found a natural mindset. What's going to happen here, Philip? Philip should have looked at him and said, I don't know, Jesus, but I know you do some crazy things, so I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure you got an answer for this. Now, that's, but that would be my bet. That would be, Philip would be like, I really don't know, but I know you know, Lord. So whatever it is you need us to do, you just tell us to do it, and we'll do it because I know you're going to make something happen here. But he couldn't see it. Couldn't see it. And, and again, it wasn't like because he had traveled with Philip for two years. He had just spent the day doing this, listening to it, right over his head, in one ear, out the other. Whoop, 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 whoop. Never registered to him. And Philip said, 200 denaria, which is interesting. The reference that he makes is a cultural reference. He doesn't make any kingdom reference at all. He refers to not just Jewish money. He refers to Roman money. The denaria. He, re- he speaks the language of the oppressor and he speaks the currency of the oppressor when the liberator is standing right in front of him. 
He couldn't see it. He couldn't connect it. And until this is a, this is a key, you have to shift your mindset. Philip hasn't, Jesus is going to do, look, Jesus is going to do what he's going to do, but he's trying to bring you on page with what he wants to do. Like, hey, man, I want you to see and understand as I see. I want you to see and understand and know and not think in terms of limitations or impossibilities. I want you to come and know my heart, know my mind, have revelation, have insight. I want you to connect to the very thing that I'm trying to get across to you. Right? And he didn't. The Roman centurion stands out to me for some reason. You know, when Jesus said, when he said, look, I'm under authority. All you got to do is say the word. And Jesus was like, whoa, somebody actually gets this. This guy connects to my message and he's not even around me. He just watches me and connects to the dominion that I carry. And he knows, I don't know, I understand authority and you got authority. And I just know that if I say to a soldier, he does it. And I know you command greater things than soldiers. Philip answered him, 200 denarii is not enough. The response was eight months of Roman rages, a secular mindset in the presence of kingdom reality. Do you have secular mindsets? Ouch. Everybody say it with me. Ouch. Ouch. Just get that out of the way. Say it again. Ouch. Ouch. Let's get it out of the way. Do you have secular mindsets in the presence of kingdom realities? Is everything solved for you in a secular way? Is everything bells and whistles and numbers? Is everything done like that? Do you look for the answers with Oprah before you look for the answers with Jesus? No, it's a question, and we need to ask it. Do we accept secular, secular mindsets in the presence of kingdom realities? Yeah? I'm telling you, Christianity teaches us to think that way. We think in natural means all day long, not all day long. Everything's rational. I call it the gospel of reduction. We've reduced this gospel to understanding. We've reduced this gospel to rational behavior. It's not, has, I mean, you, you don't, the, the gospel's not rational. He's, just, he's doing something here that's completely irrational. He takes five loaves and two fishes and feeds 5,000. Give me an equation. Show me how that worked. It's not rational. Here's my, here's my witness right here. So I'm going to butcher your story big time, but you will testify. And I'm going to put you on camera for this, too. Like, eventually, I want you, I want you to record it today. So you, your family feeds, goes out, and um, Margie's, Ingrid and Margie are sisters. So your family feeds people, right? You feed the poor and all that stuff like that. And so you guys have been doing that for years. So there was, a, fee, there was a, fee, a feeding thing going on, and you had a bunch of people show up. And so tell me if I'm wrong, Ingrid. You can slap me later. And so Ingrid walked over. She saw all the people, and she saw the food. And there wasn't enough food. And what did you do? Half food. Ha. Hot food. You prayed. You said, Lord, we don't have enough food. And she said she saw the rice multiply. She said she saw it. She said, I watched it. She watched the rice multiply. What? <laughs> there was always enough. Always on. Always enough. More than enough. <laughs> People say, I don't believe that. I'm like, you weren't there. <laughs> you weren't there. 
so there's Philip right there. Ingrid's like, Philip, I'm like, what am I going to do? What are we going to do, Lord? We don't have enough rice. Crazy, man. Crazy. Andrew comes with five loaves and two fishes. Jesus has them sit down in groups. Why? Because he makes rows. Rows. That's why he's getting them in groups, so that the disciples can walk down among them. And who do you think would be in charge of getting the people to sit down? I thought about this. I thought, now... Who, who would probably get that to happen? You got 5,000 people there, yeah. You got 5,000 people there, and you need somebody to take charge and get these people to sit down. And Peter's like, this guy, right here, I'll do it. Okay, people, this is what's going to happen. You're all going to sit down. You're going to sit down in rows. Sit down. Sit the bleep down. Don't make me come over there. That's Peter. You know Peter? You ever heard the story of Peter? Peter carried a sword. In modern times, that'd be a Glock 9, right? So Peter'd be the guy that'd be strapped with a Glock to his hip, walking around with Jesus. He'd probably have one of those tack holsters. It'd probably be down here on his leg so everybody could see it. That's Peter. Peter's the guy pushing the people out of the way. Ah, get out of the way. When Jesus was touched by the woman with the, with the issue of blood, it was Peter in the front going, get out of the way. Dude, I said the last, get out of the way. That's Peter. Peter. Peter's the guy going, get these kids out of here. Why are these kids around Jesus? We get these kids out of here. <laughs> then it gets worse. He's denied. And the Bible says he cussed. He didn't cuss. Holy, sanctified. Jesus didn't cuss. He cussed. Don't you blank and say that I know him. I don't blankety blank know him. That's Peter. Who better to get the people to sit down than Peter? Probably shooting a gun in there. All right, listen up. We got Jesus over here, and you people need to pay attention. <laughs> you guys read your Bible? I don't know if you all read your Bible. Okay, just make sure. I have a little different take on it. So. The people came near. So here's the key. This is the key to the whole, this is the key to the whole thing. Stay with me. There's keys here. If I'll pay attention. There's keys here. There's miracle power today. Right? People came near. They did whatever it took. You want answers to your circumstances. The first step is you have to draw near. You have to do whatever it takes. These people were jogging along the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is cruising in a boat across the northern shore. And they're walking around the lake to get to him. Very inconvenient, miles out of the way. They probably had to get up early. Yeah? They pushed through inconvenience because they valued something more than their sleep, more than their time. They valued it. So one of the keys here, these people came. They did whatever it took. This is a very big one. Say this with me. The answer came through intimacy. It was Jesus' relationship with his disciples, the communion with his disciples, that brought the answer. Yeah? He's consulting with his disciples in communion. This is how he works with you. You not only draw near, you can commune with the Lord. He's going to ask you a question. Do you believe I can solve your problem? Well, I don't know, Lord. I think you can. I don't want to point at you and make you do it. I'll point at myself. <laughs> Kevin, do you believe you can solve your problem? I don't know, Lord. I think you can. <laughs> He'll commune with you. He'll talk with you if you'll listen to him, and he'll give you the answer. He'll give you the answer. 
So here you have doing whatever it takes. Then you have the answer. Say with me. The answer is always in communion and always in intimacy. Always. Yeah? You can be reading a verse and God can show you the verse. You can be singing a song and he can give you a revelation into something that he did. You can be talking with him and he will speak the voice or he'll give you a path. He will give you the answer. But you have to create that. He can't make it for you. This is something I shared a few weeks ago, and I mean, I hope I'll develop it further at some point, but the point is, is that Jesus, say this with me, the Lord will not let me short track this relationship. You can't short track it. He's not a belt hop, and he's not a concierge. Lord, I need this, ding, you know, DoorDash, yeah, you know, whatever, Uber, Uber Eats, Get, bring it over here, I need it now, I need it, where, where you been, man? I'm not tipping you, bro. You're 20 minutes late. You know, whatever, whatever it may be, that's not who he is. He wants relationship. He wants relationship. And so he, he, Jesus has always got the answer, but what he doesn't have is he doesn't have intimacy with you. De Jesus has the answer, but he doesn't have communion with you. He's going to take care of it. He asked Philip, but he already knew what he was going to do. I'm going to take care of it. But I'd like, I'd like to use this moment to develop a deeper relationship with you. The king of glory wants to have a relationship with you. I don't know if that's ever registered with you. He wants to know you. I'm like, you want to know me? Yeah, I want to know you, Kevin. But you don't know what I got in the basement. He's like, I don't care what you got in the basement. I'll clean the basement out. Look, I got a crew, right? I got, you know, Michael Hall's junk, U-Haul service. We're going to come there and rip the stuff out if we have to. Or you can keep all your junk. Just relate to me. Jesus doesn't make you get rid of your junk, Christian. But what you'll notice when you start communing with him, and as you commune with him, you'll begin to understand that all of your junk becomes a barrier to greater communion with him. And eventually, you'll wise up and realize, if I don't deal with my junk, I'm never going to go further. Yeah, but he's not going to make you get rid of anything. He doesn't. But he wants relationship with you, and he tries to take, use these moments to develop relationship with you. That's his goal. He doesn't want to be your concierge. He doesn't want to be your first responder. But let me be clear. He will be. He will be your first responder. He will. 911. Jeremiah 33.3. 3. That's Jesus' 911. Call upon me and I'll answer you. Right? He'll show you. He'll come up. He'll, he'll rescue you. He'll, he'll do all that. But that is not the relationship that he desires with you. It's not what he wants. He wants more. And so the answer comes through intimacy. Right? So you have to, you have to develop that. And then say this, giving was necessary. Oh, I know, don't choke on that. Giving was necessary. Every time the Lord did a miracle of anything, he asked for something. Every single time. He's got Moses is up against the rock in a hard place. He's in front of the sea. He's like, what do you have, Moses? What do you got? He's like, I got a stick. He's like, then offer it to me and hold it out. Give me what you got. He asked for something. Do you know why? Say we honor creates access. You must honor the Lord in order to create the access. Jesus was asking for honor. He was asking for respect. Same thing. Go back to the centurion story. The centurion honored him. And what happened? Access. The Syrophoenician woman. That's one of my, that's got to be one of my favorite stories. I always go back to that story. I love that story. Syrian Phoenician woman. Lord, hear my daughter. It's like, Jesus looks at her. You don't give what is holy to dogs. How would you like it if Jesus looked at you and called you a dog? <gasps> it's not sensitive. You know? 
That's what he said, because she was a Syrian Phoenician. She was outside of the covenant with his people. She worshipped not just pagan gods, but dark gods. These, the, the Syrian, the Phoenicians were horrible. When Rome conquered the Phoenicians, and Rome wasn't, Rome wasn't really great people either, but when Rome conquered the Phoenicians, in which they were centered in Carthage, when Rome conquered Carthage, they burned the city to the ground and salted the earth so that nothing would grow there. That's how dark they were to even Rome. Rome's like, oh man, we've seen some stuff, bro. But I've never seen, I mean, I've never seen stuff like that, you know? So it was like, it was so appalling that even it appalled, it appalled the people who were appalled. And so the Syrian Phoenician woman comes to him and she's asking Jesus for something. And he says, you don't give what is holy to dogs. And she said, yes, master, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the table. And Jesus is like, oh, you're honoring me. You are honoring me. And because you honor me, I'll give you what you ask me for. Yeah? You see this principle? You cannot deny it. The honor and access principle is, it's again, it's a mystery. It floats in the vapor of this kingdom. It floats within the veil. Most miss it. Most miss honor. You know what? I have a motto for myself, and I'm going to help you. Some of you already know it. I've said it many times. Come back next week, and I'll tell it to you. <laughs> Say it with me. When in doubt... Honor the Lord. That's the default position of your life. So let's put it in real terms. Should I go to church today? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I go to church today. I want to go fishing. I want to lay in bed. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. When in doubt, honor the Lord. Get up out of bed. Let's go. Yeah? Should I give? Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I should give. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. When in doubt, honor the Lord. Should I serve? Should I get? Should I, be a, should I be a communer and not just a consumer? Should I get involved and be connected to the church and get involved and become more of a functioning member? I don't know. I don't know. When in doubt, honor the Lord. Get me? Should I pray for that person? Should I tell that person about Jesus? I don't know. I don't know. I got somewhere to go. You got a church card in your pocket. Yeah, but I'm too scared. I'm too scared. I'm scared. I'm a chicken. Lose your life for my sake. I don't know. When in doubt, honor the Lord. When, you'll go far. You'll go far. If you, if you integrate that principle alone in your life, you will excel 95% of all believers. I just gave you a 5% principle. And if you will integrate that, it will change everything about you, especially your faith. Honor creates access. Yeah. 100%. And you must honor. Not as you say, as he says. As he says. Well, I think I should honor him this way. That's what you, the, the, the Hebrews did. He's like, you think this is honor? You bring me the lame? You bring me the blind? You bring me the broken? You give to me whatever you've got left over? You call that honor? Well, I'm honoring God this way. No, you're not. You're honoring God your way. Jesus said, offer that to your masters. Offer that to your boss. And see if, offer that to your clients and see if they'll accept the blind, the broken, the lame. See if your clients will accept what you got left over. You see that one. Try that one out. And that's where he goes into, I'm a great king. It's Malachi. And I will receive honor. And I've given you the privilege to honor me. But if you will not honor me, don't worry. Don't worry. You'll be, you know, you know what will happen? He'll move on. 
Oh, you're loved. You're going to the kingdom, but you're going to miss the opportunities that God presents to you. I'm telling you, this is, I'm a student of this gospel and this kingdom, and I see what goes on in Christians' lives, and what we fail to understand is the nature of our Father. And we make it up as we go along, and we interpret things that are completely contrary to his heart, his nature, and his ways. And we think it's going to work. It's not going to work. Write it down. Write it down. If you, if you find your life, if you think you got the answers, good luck. He just said it. But you must give up what you think and do what I say in the terms of honor. How do I honor you? I could give you a list of that. There's a list of things. Honor God. Give your life to him. Integrate your life. Do all these different things. Commit to church. Get involved in church. Start giving. The church is Jesus' family. I don't know if you're aware of that. You say, well, I don't like church. Well, then find one you do. Right? You know, if you're religious and pretentious, then that'll be your home there. You'll be religious and pretentious. Let me help you out with churches. Anybody want me to help you out? Yeah. No? Nobody? Okay. Don't worry about it. <laughs> this is important. The yoke that you like, the, the, every, churches teaches yokes and anointing. So what you come under is what you become. So if it's a narcissistic church and it's all about you and glorious you and the Instagram, you're going to become like that. You will become what you, get, what you give yourself to. If it's religious, you know, binding, sort of rule-keeping, you'll become like that. If it's kingdom and freedom and life and reality, that's what Elevate is, you'll become like that. <laughs> I had a guy here one time, um, he moved to, uh, he was from North Carolina, but he came and he was in a suit, you know, he was awesome. Every week he was in a suit, every week he was in a suit. And then he realized, wow, these people aren't in suits. And so then he'd come and he'd have the tie off and then he'd come without his jacket. And um, I was telling him, I was like, man, we're, you're going to be in shorts and a flip-flops here pretty soon, man. But, you know. but it, wasn't, it was just he was honored and he was respecting. You understand? But as he kind of here, he started loosening up. His conversation got way not so structured and controlled. He started realizing, okay, you know, nobody's perfect here, but at least there's some safety in the environment. So he started doing that. So it's, it's, it, you start to see this mold. My, that's my job is to bring you into what Jesus wants you to be, not what I want, not what a denomination wants. And that's another story. So <clears throat> the answer is in the intimacy. Giving was necessary. Honor creates access. And you know what happened? There was more than enough. More than enough. Don't you want more than enough? This is what's talking about survival, success, significance. This is success. This is success that the job was accomplished, the mission was done, and there was more than enough left over. More than enough. So that's the key. Say this. I must become a follower and not a fan. I must do whatever it takes. I must develop myself more fully with intimacy take time find a margin had a gentleman's calling me this week telling me all these different things and he grew up with a quiet time and reading his bible and doing all these things and he said my life's so busy i can't do that and i told him get up in the morning start listening to worship listen to a teaching listen to something that motivates you and when it moves your heart start honoring the lord bless god if it's a beautiful day, Father, I thank you for this day. You're so amazing. You know, whatever. Just start integrating yourself into that. And I said, give up your, and he's like, I don't have time. I said, you don't have time. You got to take time. You don't have time. Nobody has time. You take it. So something's going to give. So you give up an hour of sleep to go and be with Jesus. Happy day. Right? 
and just honor God. It's not about this rigid set of disciplines. If rigid sets and disciplines get you there, then go, man. Be rigid set of discipline. Be that person. But get to the intimacy level where you're communing with him, where the exchange is happening. That's the goal. The goal isn't just the structure. The goal is the movement with him. That's the goal. And so I was just sharing that with him. And I said, you have to make that your yes. That has to be the first. There, no, there, is, no, there is no yes until that, except that one. That's the first yes. Everything else is a no. That's the yes. Yeah, you got to have that goal in your heart. And so that's the development of intimacy. Become more of intimate with the Lord. And you must become a giver and an obedient follower. So not only did they give, they did what he said. He said, sit down in rows. I don't want to sit down in rows. I don't think we should do it like this. Don't make me get Peter. Don't you make me get Peter. <laughs> they did what he said. And then they honored the Lord. They gave. They honored God. Say this, I must become a giver. And I must become an obedient follower. I must honor the Lord in all things. And enter into that access. You want to try that out? You want to try to honor and access? Just stay for second service. We're going to honor God with worship. And what will happen is as we begin, as you, you're not going to stand there observing it. As you begin to honor God, you're going to sense access. You're going to sense access. Enter into it. You'll feel it. Even worship. It's very relevant. If you don't worship him and you kind of stand there and you got your thumbs in your pocket or you're thinking about the bills you got to pay or whatever it is you got to do, then it's going to move right by you. But when you honor God and you open yourself up to worship, you'll begin to sense that openness. You'll begin to sense the atmosphere in his presence. Step into it. You know, you can dip your toe in. Okay. All right. Right. You can be a dipper. <laughs> but begin to immerse till you become immersed in that and, and learn that. And that's, that's just one simple understanding of honor and access. And when you honor God and you begin to praise God and thank God and you sense his presence, give yourself into that access and there'll be more than enough. Last thing, say this, the answer will come through intimacy. 100%. 100%. Amen? So if you're out there and you don't know Jesus, you need to become a follower, not a fan. If there's anybody here and you don't know Jesus, you need to become a follower, not a fan. How do you do that? The Bible says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. We're all lost, every single one of us. We all have a problem that's called a sin problem. The Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages, the penalty of that is eternal separation or eternal death. The gift of God is life eternal in Christ Jesus. And then the Lord tells us how to get it. He says, if you will believe in your heart, not your head, believe in your heart, just believe in your heart, and you will confess in your heart, from your heart, you'll be saved, that Jesus Christ is Lord and he's risen from the dead. So we're going to say a prayer this morning. I want to invite you to say the prayer. Don't think the prayer. Say the prayer. And so we want to give our lives to Jesus this morning. And the Lord will do the rest. He will take you through the door of his kingdom. He will bring you into his world, and then he will teach you, if you will follow him, the greater things. But it begins with this. Every person comes to Christ this way. And just say this, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior, and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. And so I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life. 
All that I am, I give to you. In all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name. We have a prayer team available, prophetic too. And so if you need prayer and prophetic, they're going to pray for you this morning. We want to bless you with that. If you need prayer for anything, go for it. And then we want to just, let me bless you one more time. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor in Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. Amen.